Welcome once again to Watch Party Wheel of Time. I'm your host, Ruarg, joined once again by our panel. Say hello, panel. Hey, y'all. Hey, panel. Joining us, it's Samaria. Hey, y'all. There's David. Warp in the factor of five, six, seven, eight. I see Greg. Just another roustabout in this carnival of souls. Siobhan. Hello, everybody. And Axel. Good evening. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking about episode seven, The Darkness Along the Ways. This was a big, meaty episode, and I think we all have a lot to talk about. Um, this one was written by our showrunner, Rafe Judkins, and directed by uh, Kirian Donnelly. Um, and let's just uh, get right into it. So uh, our first first uh, scene, we've got the blood snow. And we see uh, Shail. Uh, this is this character is Shail. She's a far Darismai of the Chumai Sept of the Tardat Aiel. Yeah. Uh, wow. You can go ahead and ignore whatever it said on the okay. screen on your on your X-ray because that's not this person's name. This person is Shail. Okay. She's a far Darismai of the Chumai Sept of the Tardat Aiel. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I'll take your Pay word it ten for times it. fast. <laughs> Anyway, we see Shail. She's out for a morning stroll, and she realizes she's feeling a little gassy because she probably ate a, too big of a burrito the night before. <laughs> uh, so she continues her stroll uh, uh, along under beautiful scenic Dragon Mount and uh, stops out of stops at a rock to hang out because you know that burrito's sitting a little heavy on her. And uh, she looks up, and there's a clumsy wetlander, and he's swinging a filthy sword at her. At her. <laughs> and, you know, she shows uh, that wetlander why you always listen to Edna Mode's advice. Uh, no capes. No capes. <laughs> no <laughs> and then in the spirit of friendship, after teaching him this nice lesson, she uh, wants to show him her favorite spear, and she shows it to him very up close. Oh, how nice. Um, then another clumsy wetlander shows up, and Shail shows him her favorite spear also. Everyone needs a friendly spear point. <laughs> Exactly. Sharing is caring. Uh, then she uses him at, uh, with his friend in order to play catch because her, her his friend is trying to play catch there. So she uses she uses the guy that she just stabbed to uh, play catch with as well. She's she's having a lot of fun here. <laughs> then she tries to get that that new wetlander to uh, catch her spear, and he does. So you know, I guess he's he's enjoying the game as well. Yay, friendship. Two more stupid wetlanders uh, show up and try to play catch, but uh, Shail just runs up towards them. She's all like, block, block, slice, slice, schnick, schnick, mother flamer. Uh, and then another friend shows up to play, and she's all like, you want to dance? I'll lead. <laughs> and then she's just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling this. Your swords can't touch me. I mean, seriously, dudes, are you even trying at this point? Um, she introduces the guy's spinal column to her spear from the front. Uh, you know, proper Aiel greeting. Um, yeah, um, and and this guy's friends, they don't really like that. So uh, she's like, well, I got two spears. There's two dudes coming at me. By my math, that means I've got two extra spears that I don't need. Um, <laughs> so uh, one of the guys comes at her, and, you know, he's, he's like, slice, slice. And then uh, she comes back and slice, slice against him. And then she's like, knock, knock. And he's like, who's there? And she's like, interrupting spear. And he's like, interrupting spear. <laughs> <laughs> then there's uh, one more dude and uh, she just turns and looks at him she's like you know what I'm going to do some matrix stuff here and I'm not even in the matrix so check this out leans backwards come back up stabs the guy uh, but unfortunately he kind of gets a, a little bit up on her grabs her and, and stabs her in the side you know it's, it's, it's like an ideal courtship at this point 
Um, so she decides that that knife isn't really the courtship gift that she wants. So she turns around, gives it back to him, uh, right in the neck. Yes. Um, so finally the annoying wetlanders are leaving her alone so she can sit there and digest her burrito in peace. Right. And then, uh, some asshole with a duck on his sword shows up. Ooh. So what are we thinking in this scene? I first of all have to applaud that recap. That was a thing of beauty. I'm thinking I would have rather had that instead of the actual sequence. Beautiful as it was. I am like, that's my number one phobia. And for years I didn't have anything like sharper than a butter knife in my apartment. And so like I was, I was very scared. I think she was just fine though. Wow. That was, yeah. that was impressive. So now we know why Aiel are considered deadly. In oh, yeah. 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 Color. yeah, just a little bit. Oof. That was nice choreography ass. there. Actually uh, paid attention to weapon time there. The When they threw the dagger from 40 feet away, it took a few seconds to get to him, which you yeah. generally don't see. Yeah, and, and the choreography in that scene was just absolutely phenomenal. And and I'm going to tell you that the entire time I was watching that scene, I just kept thinking in my head, I can't wait to watch Corridor Digital do a breakdown of this scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that, that was just that too. so, so well done. Oh, man. The actress was spectacular. She just, yeah. not only the choreography, but also, you know, Throwing in the little labor pain, <laughs> you know, issues in the, in the interim. It, it was just, just spectacular. Yeah. I had to watch it twice before I could go on. So, uh, moving on with our, our recap here, we get to our opening credits. I think we're, we're at peace with the opening credits at this point, mm -hmm. so we can just continue on. Um, and our first scene is in the ways, um, and it's uh, right after the end of last episode where Matt is on the outside and everyone else is on the inside. And Nynaeve says, uh, hey, open it back up. We need to get Matt in here. And Moraine's like, no, he made his choice. Uh, he, he went all emo goth on us, and he's not ready for this. If, if, if he gets near the Dark One, I think he's going to you know, start standing the Dark One here, and we don't need that. And uh, Rand's like, hey, don't talk, don't talk on my, my homie there. That's not cool. And, you know. Uh, Moraine takes off, um, and Loyal says, look, she can't because channeling is going to, uh, bring Mach and Shin. Uh, so don't do that. And we should hurry in order to catch up with Moraine. Uh, Lan says to Moraine, uh, well, what if it is Matt? And Moraine says, no, he's, he's too goth. Uh, it, it, it's really better <laughs> that he's not coming here. Uh, so what are we thinking? So one thing I noticed is that Rand accuses Moraine of making the choice for Matt Mm -hmm. And she doesn't deny it. I thought that it was pretty obvious that he was choosing to stand back and not join the rest of them. Like, right. But you don't know what she said to him before. She might have said, sod off, don't come in here. Yeah, that's possible. But he also then chose not to tell his friends that he wasn't going to be doing it. I think, yeah. um, I think it's easy to blame Maureen, but I think Maureen knew that Matt was making up his mind long before this moment about whether or not to stay put. And it just so happened at that moment, which was very critical for all of them, he decided that that was his last straw. It almost seemed to me like she'd already kind of decided that Matt wasn't a channeler. Because especially where we see later, she asks the Reds to go find him. 
if the Reds are going to find him, one of two things are going to happen. He's going to be gentled or they're going to decide he's not a channeler. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what her, uh, her judgments are there, but I'm guessing she didn't want him gentled. So it may be that she thinks he doesn't channel at this point. Or it could be that she figures if he does channel, he's too much of a risk of going bad anyway. So whatever happens to him is okay. Right. Gentled or just let back out into the wild. Moraine's greater good. So back to our recap, we've got uh, Loyal gives a, a little bit of a background on the ways. Did you pick up what he was saying here? Yeah, like it, it's a place that has, it's a fast way of getting around. It used to be really nice. It used to be like, it used to be full of greenery and, and, and light, and now it's dark and dead and scary. I got the, <clears throat> I got a Garden of Eden vibes, actually, from it, mm-hmm. where, you know, you had this very perfect almost transcendent kind of place that is in this world, but not it, but it really isn't. And is now closed off totally inaccessible to most people and it exists somewhere, but it's definitely not what it used to be. It's been corrupted. Sort of like an Ogier version of a subway, you know, used to be nice and a great way to get around. And now it's just sort of dark and dingy and nobody goes there anymore. And and covered in graffiti as we're about to find out. That's true. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This is what happens when you go around electing conservatives. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, just a little bit of background on the ways, um, I don't think they're going to delve into this in, in the show. Uh, the ways uh, were brought about as a way for Ogier to travel around, uh, specifically from steading to steading. Ogier tend to live in places called steadings. Um, these are places where the one power cannot be touched. They, they, if, if a channeler walks into a steading, they can no longer sense the one power. Um, and Ogier need to live in places like this, or they get something called the longing and have to go back to a steading or else they'll just eventually die. Um, and so, uh, the male Aes Sedai previously made a Turong Rial that allowed the Ogier to grow the ways in order to have a way to get from steading to steading without having to travel the long distance between and possibly suffer the longing. Um, but due to the fact that it was the male Aes Sedai who set this up for them, the taint also corrupted it. And now we see what that taint has done over the last 3000 years. Uh, Okay. So like I said, I really don't think they're going to get into that level of detail in the show to explain it, but that's, that's the story of why the ways are the way they are. And at this point, most people don't use the ways. Um, it's, I shouldn't say most people, nobody uses the ways. Um, it, it, they've all been all, but been forgotten about by most people at this point. Um, and in the show or in the books, they are slightly different, um, in that it's described as, you know, the, there, there are the, the islands and the bridges connecting them, but it's said that anything outside of your torchlight circle is just absolute pitch black and you cannot see anywhere. Basically, um, if you enter the ways by entering, you're uh, confirming that you are not Anish Kapoor and you're in no way affiliated with Anish Kapoor <laughs> and you're not entering the ways on behalf of Anish Kapoor or an associate of Anish Kapoor. And to the best of your knowledge and information that this path will not 
lead to Amish Kabbalah. <laughs> <laughs> are you now or have you ever been? Yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that's just a, a little background on the ways for you. Um, and then uh, continuing on, Perrin, uh, from the back of the group, we might point out, says uh, there's something up ahead and up there in the shadows. He smelled it. Hmm. I think he saw it. Wolf sight. Yeah. Yep. So uh, Lan and Loyal go investigate, and they find out that the guiding stone, which which is kind of a way way marker, tell you where to go to get to different places, is has been defaced. Some punks just tagged the subway map. Not yeah, cool. exactly. Um, and Loyal's puzzled because he's like, "No, Ogier would do this, and and uh, you're you're going to need to have some patience while I work this out because I'm going to need to try to read this through all this." And uh, Rand, being kind of cheeky, is like, "Oh boy, if he says be patient, we're going to be here for a year." <laughs> um, and then Rand kind of thinks about what Perrin just said, and he's like, uh, "How did you see that far?" I think you guys already figured that one out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Perrin hasn't, though. Yeah, that, that's a good point. He he seemed kind of puzzled that the rest of them couldn't see it, didn't he? I guess if something comes on real slowly, you don't always recognize it or know the difference because you don't have any, anything to compare to. So he may be just yeah. slowly and slightly seeing better in the dark and doesn't realize that or remember that isn't the way it used to be. He's slowly turning into a werewolf, I tell you. <laughs> I'm gonna. Uh, that's that's my head cannon. He is he is a a, a werewolf in uh, in progress. Yes. So uh, so Lan at this point he says, uh, "Wonder what did that to the guiding? That that's really weird." And and Loyal's like, oh. He says, "Oh, by the way, I I can tell that there's something following us. I don't think it's Gollum because that's the wrong property, but there's there's something following us." Here. Um, Couple somethings couple somethings. Um, so what are we thinking at this point? What, what are we thinking about the ways? I was wondering if it was Matt that somehow managed to follow them after all when I, when I first saw it. Oh. I would um, assume I, it was going to be a fade or some such. Yeah. Some in, the in, in general, something they didn't want to, to see, but nothing specific. Mm-hmm. So uh, they make camp in the ways for the night because you know it's it, even though it's it's a, the quickest way to get to the other side of the continent, it's still a, a little bit of a journey. Um, and uh, Egwene snuggles down with Rand, and uh, Perrin looks a little bit sad, and Nynaeve looks a little bit concerned, and and then we hear some whistling in the distance. This was a note moment. Uh, it took the second time around for me to figure out that was Pot and Fane following them. And that we were hearing his whistling. So, so something I noticed: if if you pause at the exact right lightning strike in in the waves, you can actually see Pot and Fane in the background. Yeah, I noticed that, and I I told my girl I was like, I don't know what the hell that is, but I'm scared, and I would not be able to sleep. <laughs> I'm going to go back and look for that. I missed that completely. Oh, I, I <laughs> saw that and I'm like, oh, they, well, they mentioned him in the introduction. So that's, you know, in the previously mm-hmm. on. Mm-hmm. So they're setting that up. Uh, but uh, yeah, what is this dude's story? Leave it to Ruark to find our Wells. Where's Waldo for the episode? <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, um, 
Egwene wakes up and, and she asks Rand, did you hear that that whistling? And Rand's like, well, hey, what, who, who, what? And then no one expects the Trolloc Inquisition. <laughs> uh, Trolloc just kind of jumps out at them out of nowhere. Um, and channeling happens. We don't know what happened, but but uh, looks like Egwene may have channeled to uh, send the Trolloc away. Uh, the Trolloc gets flung into the abyss, and uh, Loyal's thinking, uh, Trolloc's in the ways, that should be impossible. You Usually Trolloc's will not go anywhere near the ways. And Lan says, oh, well, I guess that explains how the Trolloc's got to the two rivers without anybody noticing in between. And we found the Vandals. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. definitely found our Vandals. So, so do we think these are like punk Trollocs running around in the ways with spray paint cans? Or, <laughs> or, or... Just out having a bit of fun. I think right, they're messing um, things up for people. They are on patrol. That's what I think. Mm. Mm-hmm. So uh, everybody kind of notices a little bit of a wind picking up, and it's starting to get a little cold. And uh, they realize that that means that this is not a good place to be. And they decide to get out of there. Uh, Lan asks asks uh, the, um, Loyal uh, how far Faldara far is. My notes say Fardara, but that is not correct. Faldara. Because it's not far. Yes. And uh, Loyal says, oh, it's right over there. Let's go. Um, so um, they start running towards the exit. And uh, I know a, a few episodes ago, I had told you guys that the, the Tolkien beats had, had uh, come to an end. But I think we notice at this point that uh, they had not, in fact, come to an end. We, we still have our Minds of Moria sequence. I was going to say, this is the Minds of Morania. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, we, we see them all run over a, a, an impossibly narrow bridge, which is reminiscent of a certain something. Um, and, uh, just as they're getting to the gate, uh, Santa Machin Shin shows up and brings presents for everybody. Um, <laughs> so, so he talks to Moraine and says, uh, you suck. You get, here's some imposter syndrome for you. Uh, you're probably going to kill all these kids. <laughs> talks to Egwene. He says, Hey, you get imposter syndrome too. You also suck and you're never going to live up to your, to, to what you should be. Uh, then he uh, finds Rand and he says, hey, uh, you know, Egwene doesn't really love you. Uh, I mean, she already dumped you how many times, dude? I mean, get a clue here. Anakin, anyone? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hate sand. So uh, Santa Machin Shin comes over to Perrin and says, uh, you killed Lila because you wanted her gone. Um, because you're you're holding a torch for somebody else and you know it. Mm. Um, then he goes over to Lan and says, hey, you can't protect her. Remember that thing that happened with Steppen? Yeah, you, you better get ready for some of that. You're going to have fun. Um, then it then it uh, makes the mistake of talking to Nynaeve. <laughs> um, and it's like, ah, you think you're a healer? You suck. You get some imposter syndrome. Everybody gets imposter syndrome. And by the way, it's your fault that everybody here is going to die. And Nynaeve, in proper Nynaeve fashion, says, oh, you think? <laughs> and tells Mok Chin to get bent while Moraine opens the door and they all escape. You shall not pass. Not today, Satan. That's what Nynaeve was saying today. <laughs> Nynaeve's power is very tied to her emotions. Oh, yes. Very she much so. The power of fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Yeah, I think you're finally cluing into a, a part of Nynaeve. Uh, um, a lot of people like to compare her to the Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. I can um, see that. You, you, you don't want to make her mad. You don't you wouldn't like her when she's angry. Very much so. So I'd like to know more about the 
Machen Shin. Machen Shin. Machen Shin. Um, so Machen Shin is, as I as I was saying earlier, the ways were were built using uh, uh, Sidene, which as it became corrupted, corrupted the ways as well. And Machen Shin is is the form that that corruption took, and it it's. Um, it's a little bit different in the show here than it's described in the books, but not in an, in a really important way. In the show, it kind of tells you bad things that you don't want to hear about yourself, and and you know, kind of tries to get into your head that way. In the books, it's just described as like thousands upon thousands of voices just raving with insanity, and and as it washes over you, it kind of like takes your sanity away with it, um, kind of thing. See, I think that would have been more effective. I've seen the whole. Um the voice that tells you how much of a failure you are used in other properties as a way of getting inside your head. And, you know, for most people who suffer from depression and anxiety, that's just Tuesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a plot device more than anything, because you can really internalize a lot at that moment and tell a lot about a character really very quickly. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And it it informs the scene that we have later, where uh, Perrin and Rand are fighting over Egwene. Also, so there's there's just I think they probably use that as a p- plot device more than anything. Right? Yeah, definitely. Um, just to sort of specify those particular little, uh, you know, mental sticking points. Now, one one thing I did notice in that uh, it mentioned something about Nynaeve's parents. You know, you're going to watch mm-hmm. them die like you watched your parents die. So there's more to come for her. Yeah. So when I was reading the books and, and you know, it described Machin Shin as just these thousands of voices talking all, all at once to make you insane. I And then they were going to make the show. I was like, how are they going to make this sound? I don't know what this sound is going to be. The only thing I could think of was it was every single Skinny Puppy song playing simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I, I do like the way that they did it in, in the show, even though it is a little bit cliche. It, I think it was effective. And the sound design was really nice on it. I watched this one with with headphones and it was yeah. it was very nice. Very much so. Uh, so then uh, we get outside the Waygate. They've all just escaped. Uh, they're now in Shinar, which is uh, outside of Faldara and overlooking Tarwin's Gap. All of which means nothing to any of you as of yet. <laughs> um, We're about to find out that uh, you know Faldara is kind of the the Vegas of the Borderlands. Things yeah. happen there. Things happen. You don't always talk about it. Yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> So, uh, Nynaeve says, where are we? And, uh, you know, Maureen says, well, what I just said is Shinar in the Borderlands, uh, looking over Faldara and Tarwin's Gap. Can't you see that? Uh, <laughs> so, so quick geography lesson here. Uh, the, the Borderlands are the, the lands to the far north in, in this landmass, Um, and they are called the Borderlands because they border what's called the Great Blight, which we see at the end of this episode. Um, the Great Blight is is getting closer to where the Dark One is actually imprisoned, so there's you know some of his touch on the on the land there. So to the north, where it would normally be turning Arctic, it instead turns very hot and and humid and and disgusting, and and disease ridden, and that is the Blight and the, the Borderlands. Vegas. 
Yes, very much so. <laughs> and the Borderlands, much like Vegas, are, are trying to just, well, actually not at all like Vegas, are trying to keep that blight from getting any closer to, to people. And so that that's what the Borderlands are. That's what Borderlanders are. They are people who have devoted their life to, to fighting against uh, 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 the blight and its encroachment. And uh, I'm, I'm not not sure if any of you noticed the similarities to a certain uh, northern wall in in another certain fantasy mm-hmm. but, uh, they could be uh a fool yeah 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 just saying so yeah that that's that's where we are that's where the borderlands are it it's a, a good distance from where they left in tarvalon it, it would have taken them probably about a month to get here otherwise so that's where we're na- we're now at and they go into the fortress of faldara um, where we meet, uh, uh, we meet Uno. I don't know if any of you noticed Uno, but I can tell you that the book readers noticed Uno. Uh, he would be the gentleman who walked in with an eye patch. Mm-hmm. I caught that. Yeah, that 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 guy seems like he's a good time. Mm-hmm. And him and Lan are obviously buddies. Yes, uh, saying Uno is a good time is putting it very, very mildly. We'll, we'll just put it that way. <laughs> Um, yeah, you, y'all are going to learn some really interesting new swears from this guy. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Can't wait. My type of dude. All right. Very much so. Um, and we meet Lord Agomar, who we find out is kind of a jerk because he cuts off Moraine before Moraine can even say why she's there. Mansplaining. He was very man. Just all mm-hmm. man. Very dude. <laughs> 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 I think I'll, we'll just wrap it with that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so Moraine says, uh, look, I don't know what your drama is. Uh, I'm just here to let you know that uh, you got a Waygate problem and you need to look into it. And he's like, oh, yeah, my bad. Um, you're welcome to stay. You guys are welcome to to, to stay in the keep. And uh, thank you for bringing that information to me. And, and uh, you know, kind of eats a little bit of crow there. But in no way acknowledges the fact that he was eating any crow there. Yes, yeah, exactly. was not. Because <laughs> he didn't. He didn't not know anything. Obviously. So, what do we think of our first exposure to Shinarans here? My first thought is the geographic, as far as people and and uh, how they appear, is really nice in the show. That we moved spaces, and it definitely changed what the general demographic was. So we're not seeing a demographic of the same looking people across the entire continent, which was really cool. Also different architecture, mm-hmm. um, different clothing. It was, it was, yeah, there's, there's a real changing culture when you get to the new city. Aguilmar's uh, cloak or coat or whatever using the Black Hawk yeah. was spectacular. That Very was, much so. That was a great, great piece of wardrobe there. And I don't know if you noticed, but uh, some of his his warriors, Uno included, were wearing these like kind of sleeveless, long tabard kind of things with the Black Hawk etched on the back, almost mm-hmm. like a, a, a motorcycle club logo. <laughs> and, 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 and I really loved that. I really, really did. Well, I mean, they they kind of look it so. They got mm-hmm. the well, except maybe except for the little man bun top ponytail things, you know. I don't see a lot of bikers doing that, but uh, the eye patch works. Yeah, very much so. Uh, so then we jump back outside. We're back at the Waygate, and uh, we see uh, our old friend Pat and Fane going feigning about. Uh, what are we thinking? I'm thinking, how did you get in, and how did you get out? And 
So they're just, we need to keep our eye on this guy. Like I already have been because he's creepy, but he, I don't know who he's aligned with. I don't know what powers he has. I don't know if he's a channeler or if he has some kind of like other access to magic or if he's using tools or what, but this guy is, he's extremely clever, but in a very scary way. Yes. And I, I kind of noticed that where Patton Fane goes, Trollocs follow. So yeah. I was kind of, yeah. I was kind of wondering if maybe oh, he's kind of the one that's letting him in and out of the ways and showing him where to go. Mm. And at the same time, it also kind of makes sense that a peddler who wants to get around to cities very quickly would use the ways to the, his advantage because there's less travel time that way. Well, he's got to have, you know, wagons in every, in every wayport. So, you know, he's, uh, <laughs> he, he, you can't really take those into there, you know? Yeah. The horses aren't, uh, aren't good in the ways as we learned last episode. So as Samaria brought up, how do we think he's getting in and out of the ways? Oh, he's got friends in low places. He's he's definitely uh, showing signs of being an agent of the Dark One and one of the you know sort of the sort of the 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 equivalent of Moraine or the the Blue Cloaks you know yeah like one of the was it Dark Friends yes mm-hmm. they were called yeah yes Dark Friends I wouldn't be surprised if he can channel as well but if he no? can channel he's doing it either he is crazy but in a controllable way or it doesn't affect dark friends quite the same way or hmm. I wonder if this might be a small hiccup between the show and the books is Rourke mentioned in the last episode, how the way gates work in the books where it's more of a physical thing. You kind of find that leaf and put it into its slot and, and then it opens. And I wonder if maybe that's kind of a, a discontinuity between the show and the books. So this question actually got answered by Amazon in the bonus features. Um, You have to look through it, but if you look in the bonus features, there are photos from the episode and the photos are stills that are not taken directly from the scenes in the episode. They're stills of the characters in different, you know, that, that all original for, for these stills. One of those stills, if you notice it's Padden Fane, standing in the in the on that waygate uh platform and he's holding a little stone leaf okay so i'm i'm thinking what they did as, as i explained with that stone leaf in in the last episode i'm thinking what they did is they've decided that that this this is how the ogier were able to use the the ways as they had these little stone leaf turangrial that opened the waygates for them mm-hmm. which again nods back to the original way that the ways were opened so like but it's also possible to open them with magic, which is what yes. Morgane was doing. Yes. Right. She was more picking the lock, it seems. Yes, know, very much so. Where Pat and Fane seemed to have a key. Mm-hmm. He found it under, what, did he find it under Matt? <laughs> oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, I couldn't help myself. Oh. Should Continu- uh, Continuing uh, on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, just ignore me yeah. for a minute. I deserve that. Uh, we're with the Lady Amelisa and Maureen. Um, and uh, Lady Amelisa is leading Maureen to her, to her quarters and super casual, like, just kind of like lights some candles. Kind of like, oh, hey, Maureen, did you notice, notice that I uh, just lit those candles? Um, Moraine's like, uh, look, I want to go see men. 
And uh, Amelisa's like, look, I like her too, but my brother not so much. And Moraine, she kind of drags on Hagelmar for a minute here. <laughs> Deserved. Yeah. I love that line. <laughs> why, why ask him, why, why would he want to know, you know, he already knows the answers. Yeah. What, why what, would he what, ask what any questions ask? when he already has all the answers? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Amelisa is saying there's no mention of you from our messengers to the south. Uh, you came here by the ways, didn't you? And Moraine just kind of, you know, gives her the side eye for a second. And she's like, hey, look, just because you trained at the tower, I know you're showing off your 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 ability to light those candles because you trained at the tower. But just because you did that doesn't mean I'm going to share tower knowledge with you, okay? Uh, like, just keep it on the down low. Don't, don't tell anybody I came by the ways. Um, then she says, look, I need to send a message to the tower and, uh, tells her that she needs the tower to find Matt and tells her to send the message to the red Aja. What are we thinking? First of all, seeing the ring without the stone, uh, why would she still have the ring? Just because she attended training at the towers, you know, she went there, didn't get the diploma, which would be the stone, but still gets to keep yeah. the ring. So I'll give a background on this. Uh, some people who go to the White Tower and are deemed not strong enough or not of the right will or constitution are, are let go. They generally don't take a ring with them when they leave, though. But also there's, just like in, in any other world, the rich and mighty get more access to things than others. So things like uh, crown princesses and such will go to the Tower for training. And even if they can't channel a lick... They will be given a, a kind of uh, um, a stoneless ring just to say, you know, I am tower trained. I, I know the way of, ways of diplomacy and tower logic and yada, 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 yada. Like the sorority ring. <laughs> Very much so, yes. Yeah. A sorority ring without a diploma. So it's, it's, he's finishing, a it's a finishing. Yeah. It's a finishing. No, it's finishing school. Yeah. yeah. True, true. Right? They, they're going <laughs> there, you know, like how in universities in the, you know, back in the olden days for women were a place to go to find a husband. Um, you've got a small number who actually go for the education and these, these ones are just going there for the, for the, you know, for the kudos. Be a properly, fin you know, properly finished princess who can get involved in all of the politics and stuff of the world. Uh, so now we're in town um, and we're walking through town with, with uh, the whole group. Everybody's going and, uh, Perrin suddenly thinks he sees Pod and Fane going past. And uh, Egwene tells him, no, Pod and Fane, I'm pretty sure he died back in, in, in the two rivers. Nah, he seemed to be just hanging out when he was watching all the chaos go down. Yeah. So, yeah, he's uh, he's nice and safe. Perrin did I feel see like him. a peddler is never going to get caught slipping. Yeah. Like, of course, of course he got away. <laughs> he didn't seem to be panicking while, you know, all all hell was breaking loose around him. So, you know, that made him very sus to begin with. But uh, now it's like, hey. Yeah, I think Egwene was just, they couldn't find him after the Trollocs left, so they must have assumed he was dead, right? Because what happens to people that are missing after Trollocs come through? They, they're they they're in a Trolloc, probably. Dragged off by their braid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so then we get to the interior of a tavern, um, and everybody going to, suddenly gets hushed when Moraine walks in. We're like, what's she doing here? Why, 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 why is she here? That, that's creepy. She seems to have that effect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> already before. She's at the Aes Sedai. Well, she prefers to frequent tea houses, so a pub's not a normal place for her to be. 
We've seen her at a lot of pubs in the show. Though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the kids all grab a table and get a round of drinks, and uh, Rand and Perrin are talking about the way of the leaf for a minute. Um, Somebody's a convert. <laughs> yep. I knew Perrin would find that really appealing. Yeah, so next he's going to start, you know, He's going to start talking about CrossFit. <laughs> <laughs> Already vegan. I mean, come on. What's, what's next? This episode is brought to you by 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. That's the number four and cats with a K. Katie and Jordan have some awesome art they would love for you all to check out. They have custom bookmarks, prints, and even these beautiful book page posters that have passages from some of our favorite fantasy series like The Lord of the Rings, A Song of Ice and Fire, and of course, The Wheel of Time. You all really should check out 4Cats Boutique on Etsy and get yourself some bookmarks and amazing artwork. That's the number four and cats with a K. 4Cats Boutique on Etsy. So uh, Nynaeve looks over and sees Moraine uh, talking to the, the, the bartender and says, what's she doing? You know, well, she's tugging on her braid. And uh, Moraine is over there talking to Min uh, and has her look over at the kids and uh, says, well, what do you see? And Min looks at the kids and says, well, Perrin, I can see yellow eyes and I can see blood on his chin. I see Rand holding a baby. Don't ask me whose baby because they all look like, like uh, the same baby to me. I don't know. Um, and then, uh, Moraine asks her about the two girls and she, and Min says, well, I see a white flame and a ring of gold. She didn't specify whether one had one and the other, or both had the same thing. Yeah. So that's interesting. Notice that, that there was no specifics about which one had which. Yeah. And I, I tried to, sh I tried to show when, to see whenever they showed them with what she was seeing. And, uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't see a, a ring of gold. I couldn't see that. Uh, I saw the white flame, definitely. Well, look, don't forget, um, the emerald seat has a gold ring. That's what I got out of it, too, is one of them is going to end up on the seat. Ooh. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Uh-huh. I didn't catch that. Um, and then Min goes on to say uh, that they are, they're all linked. I can tell that they're all linked. I see all these sparks and shadows around them, and the, the sparks are trying to... to get rid of the shadows and the shadows are trying to smother the sparks and it's just happening around them all the time. Um, then Moraine says, well, what about me? And Min says, uh, well, all I can tell you is the Amaralyn's going to cause your downfall. But not so on. Right. It took me a second watch to catch on to that because I'm thinking, yeah. oh, it's Suwan. And then Moraine's like, oh, well, ride or die. But the second time around, I was like, oh, the seat. Like, I have to keep remembering that Swan is not, is the seat right now, but the seat is not Swan. Right. And you can never tell which one they're talking about. Are they talking about the title and the physical seat itself, or are they talking about the person that's sitting in it right now? So you think she's going to, what, trip over it? She's just going to go tumbling over the, over the ambulance seat? Well, we know... We know there's a power struggle going on between the various Aja. So if Swan gets deposed, mm -hmm. then Moraine becomes a target by whoever replaces her. Well, and True. we don't know to what depth she saw the Ring of Gold. Like, if she truly did see one of those two as the Amerlin seat, she could have been talking about that specific person as well. So it could either That's be Nynaeve true. or Egwene that is her downfall. So there's a lot of ambiguity there. Or it could be herself. Like she could get the, she could get the job and that could screw her up. 
Definitely. Oh, oh me too. The mm-hmm. seat could be her downfall. Cool. Oh, I she like gets, that theory. She gets stuck, caught up in like domestic politics and can't go out and do anything useful and like feels that her life is over. Bollocks. <laughs> Probably not the way it's going to go, but... No, I'm I'm liking all of these theories. These are these are great theories. Um, Plus, I'm back off the fence. Uh, Voltron theory for sure at this point. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was I'm I'm still clinging to that one. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're we're back at Faldara Keep, and Maureen is talking to all the kids, and she's like, "Look, we leave at dawn. I need all of you ready to go at dawn, um, and we're going to the Eye of the World." Nynaeve says, uh, well, what was that all about back in the tavern there with, with uh, you going and talking to that girl that was giving us all the hairy eyeball? Maureen just says, look, she's a seer. She can see things. Um, I hope she would be able to tell me which one of you is the dragon so I could just take the dragon to the eye of the world and the rest of you could survive. But, you know, can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Sorry. The bartender can see things. So moral of the story, tip. Tip your bartender. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, Maureen leaves, and the the kids sit down to discuss going going to the eye of the world and and what that's going to mean. And uh, things kind of go a little pear shaped at this point with with uh, all of our personal interactions. What are we thinking? Well, the I'm first thinking thing I noticed like... was. You two, I, I think you two share a brain cell for starting sentences because you always start at the exact same time. Might. <laughs> you had that telepathy. Um, you know, I was just strongly reminded of that scene from Deathly Hollows Part One when the trio are in the forest and that Horcrux is just messing with their minds and they cannot mm-hmm. keep a handle on themselves for anything and they're just bickering at each other and picking at each other and i think like in this story like it's the wind and i don't think they've been able to let that that go what the wind has told them you know Mm -hmm. that really physically and psychologically traumatizing experience and i think this is the outcome of that but um yeah it's not good and i don't think this is the last like they've apologized for but i don't i don't think it's the last we're gonna hear of it yeah. yeah, I got that too, that it was kind of fallout from the wind and everything that everyone heard there. But I also noticed that um, at the beginning when Moraine's talking to them, she tries to use her little trick and skirt the truth a little bit at first and gets called out on it. And then that's mm-hmm. when she tells them about the seer. Like, I think she's figuring out that these guys are learning how to deal with her at this point and that Mm -hmm. she kind of has to be a little bit more forthright with them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the other thing I noticed was I figured Samario would be like jumping up and down happy because uh, Egwene called Nynaeve out on her uh, prideful ways and said, you need to listen to what these people are saying. I did. I wrote it down. I just hadn't, hadn't said anything, but you know... I just, I find it really <laughs> funny that naive and it happens every single time. And she's like, you can't force us. You need to tell us what, you know, what's going on. You know, you can't boss us around. And then she goes along anyway. You know, Matt's the one who actually says, you know what, I'm done here. And then actually pieces out. And naive you know, for all of her protesting and complaining, she's still following along 
you know? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I'm like, naive girl, you got to be honest with yourself either. And and Egwene called her out on that. And she was like, you know, if Moraine was out of the equation, you'd be gung ho for it. And I'm like, yes, girl. (laughs) (laughs) So that actually reminds me uh, of, I was reading an, an article by one of the like uh, children's cartoon writer from the eighties who was saying that back then there were part of network standards was that anytime there was a group, the only put the only time that somebody was allowed to disagree with the group think they had to be proven wrong. They had to be the idiot or the bad guy. Um, mm. And this shows up in things like Scooby-Doo and the Dungeons and Dragons cartoons and like the mm-hmm. whole through the 80s. And to a certain extent, I'm wondering if this group dynamic is being informed by that style of storytelling, right? Mm. Matt's allowed to disagree with the group because he's the bad guy. Nynaeve can pretend to disagree with the group, but she's going to fall in line because she's a good guy. Mm. Mm. That's fascinating. Interesting. Yeah, the showrunner is about the uh, the age where that would be... Uh, <laughs> that could be a mm-hmm. uh, guiding principle in his uh, storytelling. So and good call like there. You, yeah, as I said, if you look back at TV from that era, you will see it. Time, it's everywhere. I, I After having read the article, I was like, wait a minute, is this right? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's That's a really great. It's a bit of propaganda because yeah. what it says is you have to agree with the group. Right. I was going to say, it, it sounds like it's almost a, a continuation of the Hayes Code in a way. A yeah, it's very yeah. 80s. Yeah. 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 But because yeah, there is more of a control for, you know, programming for children, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. the Hayes Code was back in the, you know, back in the 30s and 40s for film. Anyway, back to the Wheel of Time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so did uh, anybody notice uh, the the uh, tension that got forced between Rand and Perrin and Egwene by Nynaeve here? How could we yeah, miss it? she brought the yeah. drama. Yeah. So I want to I know specifically what you think about that, yeah. I got a lot of jealousy on Nynaeve's part. Almost like she was fighting as much as Rand and Perrin were for her. But I, I suppose too. Nynaeve was vying for her attention before all this started. She was saying, Hey, come be my apprentice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, getting the attention from one of the boys would also fall as kind of a jealousy point on her. And later in the episode, she shows a lot of jealousy also when she's talking with Lan about Moraine. So uh-huh. I'm, I'm wondering if that tends to be a uh, nasty character trait in her. Mm. That's a good catch. You know, the, the having and having jealousy being such a, you know, such a strong emotion with her knowing that emotions are her big trigger for the one power that could make her a bit of a loose cannon there. You know, I'm glad you brought up what happens with Land because what stuck out to me in that exchange was that she used the word belong and mm-hmm. Land was like, "No, she doesn't own me." And I, you know, Nynaeve, I feel like did not understand and knowing that Nynaeve grew up an orphan that she was kind of dropped into two rivers and she had a make her way and grow up in this and figure out how to be integrated into this society. Um, and you know, the way she found out to do that is to become a wisdom where, you know, she's basically fundamental to it. Um, I think anything that threatens that 
whether, you know, in actuality or just in her perception um, would bring out that jealousy, you know, because it's something that's being taken away from her. She's got that craving for respect and, you know, by title or by right, uh, she wants it. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you guys what I saw in that scene. I saw Perrin jumping up to defend Egwene the way a big brother would jump up to defend his little sister. I agree. And I saw Nynaeve misinterpret that and misinterpret other things that she's probably seen through time and claim that there's a love triangle there. Mm-hmm. Because if you noticed, Rand, Rand wasn't clued into anything before that. And both Perrin and Egwene kind of looked at Nynaeve like, what are you on about? We got the little nugget of uh, the the dark wind telling uh, the you know telling Perrin that he killed his wife because he he loves another. So we're we, we're getting that little seed of doubt planted in our heads by that. So there's 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 some uh, there's some other mystery love of Perrin's that's out there somewhere possibly. Yeah, I think we're kind of meant to play that scene from Nynaeve's perspective. And that's why we got that nugget earlier as we kind of feel that interaction that she sees, not necessarily what's going on. Yeah. One of the things I noticed about those um, things that were whispered by the wind is that when they come back out through the gate, Moraine says, put it out of all those things you heard, put it out of your head. She never says they're not true. We are a good one. Uh, not, I read the wind as as doubts and doubts are, are always going to exist and always be truthful because they come from inside. So I read it as the wind things that you hate or you worry most about yourself. And so they could be true. They might not be true. But if you dwell on it, if you internalize it, then they definitely will become true. And it's like the wind is like, do you want to give into the worst of yourself? Yes, you should. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, that little amplification of the voices in your head. So I very much agree with with Samaria's assessment that they're still processing all the things they heard. Mm-hmm. They've just been through a whole series of traumatic experiences. This is their first time actually sitting around and processing some of this with each other. And so they all get a little spiky. And their first time together without Moraine there to kind of settle everybody down. That's true. And they have this big gaping missing hole in the... That shaped hole. Yeah. So uh, our next scene, we've got Lan and Moraine. And uh, Moraine is telling Lan that she feels bad for uh, dragging him along with her on, on this whole whole journey of hers and land says no i'm sorry that's bullshit because without you i had no reason to live um and we find out why a little bit later but uh moraine's like uh okay that's nice uh go see your people you you need to go see your people before we do this thing tomorrow and and also uh the wisdom the wisdom um yeah she's all right i like her she gets my seal of approval i liked that a lot and i also thought that maybe moraine is possibly feeling Lan's feelings a little bit here. And that's why we get this scene that he kind of, he knows that his people are here and this is his home and this is where he kind of supposed to be. And he's feeling a little bit homesick and a little bit 
sorry that he left. And so she's feeling that too, because of their connection. And then this conversation happens because she's trying to assuage those feelings. Interesting. Mm, nice catch. So our next scene is, uh, in Faldara town proper. Um, we see Nynaeve, uh, tracking land through the town. Um, land notices. Uh, he doesn't let on that he notices, but he notices. I love that cheeky um, smile. Nynaeve's not as good a tracker as <laughs> she's not as good a tracker as she thinks she is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> More a stalker than a tracker. Um, so Lan, uh, goes and meets up with, with the other Malkiri that are in town and, uh, Notices uh, Nynaeve still tracking him, so he sneaks out the back door and comes around and, and uh, scares her. That was slick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did not see that coming. It's like, wait, how'd you get here? Uh, and, and then he invites her in. He's like, you know, well, I mean, you're already here. You might as well come in. And uh, I, some other fans actually pointed out that at this moment, you can hear a whistle in the background. I heard really? it too. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, that. and I went back and I listened to it and I'm going to say, I don't think it's bad and fame. I didn't think so either. When I, 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 like, I, I <sighs> yeah, I think it's actually, uh, uh, his, his uncle or whoever that is inside. I think it was him whistling because then our next scene land takes him into, to, uh, in, you know, introduce her to his family. And the first thing out of his mouth is she's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't noticed. So it was his line of the show. Whistle, it was more of a. <laughs> More or less, yeah. That scene really reminded me of him inviting her to the the warders mm-hmm. fire. Yeah, very much so. He makes space for her wherever he goes. You want to meet my family? Well, here's another one of my families. You, you you're you're going to meet a lot of families on the way. <laughs> so, uh, Lan introduces him around the family, and then we get to see Lan's softer side. Uh, we get to see Lan bonding with with his niece. I, I believe that's his niece. I don't know for certain. You know, you know a, a Malkiri girl, um, and uh, it's it's just a nice little scene altogether. I, I rather enjoyed that. It really humanizes Lan. Um, in the books, Lan Lan was a monolith. He you know very much the the stone that does not crack. So seeing a few cracks in him in, in the show is really nice. Yeah, it's a little like uh, Matt's relationships with you know his sisters. Yeah. And other children. Um, so they get done and Lan walks uh, Nynaeve back to his quarters. And then uh, he excuses himself because uh, Lan has no game. <laughs> <laughs> all, all I could think is, oops, missed the porch kiss there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, see, um, I was thinking that he was making space for her to make the first move. Could be. Which technically, according to Malkiri custom, would be the correct way to go about it. So you actually are onto something there that I didn't even pick up on. So nice. Yeah. And she missed um, the porch kiss, and it's just as bad. Yeah. Uh, but then she just does what Nynaeve does and just kind of barges in and is like, Well, do you want me to leave? And he's like, No. <laughs> Um, and, uh, she's like, well, okay. In that case, uh, I need to tell you what time it is. And the time it is right now is business time. (laughs) Kissy part. Yeah. And, and we get a kissy part and, and I'm gonna tell you, I, I cried at this. I, I really did. You, you guys, you're just getting to, to see Lan and Nynaeve for the first time here. 
in my opinion, this is one of the greatest love stories in all of fantasy literature and possibly all of literature, period. So seeing them kiss for the first time is just really made my heart sing. Aww. They're very sweet together. I love mm-hmm. I love the relationship. They bring out yeah, the best chemistry. in each other. And, you know, I know Nynaeve gets on my last nerves. That's not a secret to anybody at this point. <laughs> but... <laughs> Like, I like her. I, I mean, he, she she reminds me of my sister. And <laughs> I, um, <laughs> she has a really good heart. And I think Lan, like, gives her space. You know, she doesn't give herself space to just be. And even now, Lan, you know, is, you know, giving her that time to just really sort herself out and lets her, you know... Let's her just really settle. And I really like how she lets him take care of her because she doesn't let anybody else do that. And it's, it's, you know, it's in a really small moments, like him, like grabbing her outside of battle, grabbing her outside the wind. And, you know, she lets him like, she puts up a fight for everybody else except for him. And I'm like, okay, I really like that. She yields, you know, eventually there's a merge, but she does yield to him. And she still needles him the whole time. That's she true. Mm-hmm. She gives as good as she gets. That's they have they have a, a nice banter. Uh, so moving on, our next scene, we're out on the archery range where we get to see uh, Rand. Uh, we get to see how much of an actual archer he he is. And if you look at those clusters, he's he's one hell of an archer. And Egwene comes walking out and says, uh, "Hey, I passively aggressively waited for you in my room so, <laughs> until you came to talk to me so I could yell at you, and you never came." <laughs> and and Rand's like, yeah, because uh, from experience, I learned that if I go find you, you're going to yell at me. If I just wait for you to find me, you'll cool down. <laughs> Which you know, I, I I liked that little exchange. Once again, showing how much these people know each other. They right. they're, they're <laughs> just right there. Um, they get kind of I'm sorry's all around, and and then they they start cutting onions in a dusty room, and and. <laughs> Um, Rand is saying, look, you need to go to the tower. I know that's what you want to do. You want to train to be an Aes Sedai. Go to the tower. That's where you belong. And she says, but I don't want to leave you again. And he says, look, I'll be your warder. Why didn't we think of this from the first? That just makes sense. Because obviously they didn't know what a warder was back then. Now they do. True, true, true. But then again, you know, a few weeks ago, she was going to just be a small time, you know, small town wisdom apprentice so right but that doesn't mean she didn't that was all she wanted to be she might have thought that's all she could be true true and what i saw out of this was he's scared to lose her oh and yeah and still affecting him and so he's doing whatever it takes to convince her to be protected he wants her as far away from the eye of the world as possible so that's why he's trying to get her to go back to the tower because he knows that he's she's going to be essentially safe there yeah, I didn't read it so much as, you know, this is them figuring out, like, the many ways they can fit together as, you know, they both grow as people and as a couple. I read it as Rand has been doing calculations and he's a, a little bit, a lot of bit entitled. And, you know, if he can't get exactly what he wants, which is to be you know, a small town herder with his housewife, 
he is going to, you know, think a little bit bigger, but essentially get that same thing in, you know, a different, you know, sort of arrangement. And, you know, that's unfortunate, but I mean, I, I hope it works out for them. So uh, Egwene then follows follows up uh, them cutting some onions and, and deciding to be warders uh, by saying, hey, Rand, you know what time it is? Rand says, no, what time it is? And Egwene says, it's time for making business because it's business time. <laughs> like I said, it's the Vegas of the borderlands. Very much so. Uh, so, uh, then we go to land's quarters and, uh, Nynaeve, uh, is, is, uh, deciding that, well, they're done. She's going to be on her way. Uh, she wants to get out of there before she has to do the walk of shame in the morning. Um, and then, and Lan wakes up and, and asks her about it and they start talking about Lan's best. Um, what did we learn here? Kind of saw that coming. to be a king. Yeah. Everybody's either secretly noble or a you know, secret nobility or a wizard. So <laughs> I get why he and Maureen chose each other. You know, they have that natural affinity. Maureen lost her house. He mm-hmm. lost his kingdom. You know, it makes sense that they would gravitate toward each other because, you know, they understand each other like in a very basic sense. It's like a Duggar and a Falwell getting together. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, just to give you some background here, um, Lan, Lan is knockoff Aragorn. Uh, Lan, Lan is very much knockoff knock Aragorn. Um, he's, he's Malkiri. The, the land that he's from is called Malkir. It was a bit Northwest of Shinar where they are right now. Um, and it was another of the borderlands and it was taken over by the blight. Um, the blight made a big push and it pushed its way right through Malkir. And this happened when, uh, Lan was, was an infant. So, uh, five members of the Royal Guard smuggled Lan out of the castle and got him to Shinar before Malkir fell entirely. Um, there are still Malkiri in the world, but they do not have a home any longer because it has been swallowed by the blight. Um, Lan is the last uncrowned king of the Malkiri, but again, he has no actual kingdom to be a king of. So that is Lan's backstory. Little Daenerys Targaryen there, smuggled out, smuggled out as a baby, and uh, you know, a, a ruler without a land. Um, so, so a little bit more background uh, with that. Uh, before Lan met Moraine. Um, he was, he, he was studying obviously to be a great warrior because, uh, that's what you do in the borderlands. And he, he, before he met Moraine, he pretty much did have a death wish. He would go into the blight on, on the regular, just to go fight shadow spawn. Just that's what he felt his job was. His land was gone and he was going to go back into that land and fight as many shadow spawn as he could until the shadow spawn killed him. That was pretty much his what he was living for at the time until Maureen came along and, and shared this mission with him, met him, realized that he, he had something more to give and shared this mission with him. And that's when he joined Maureen. Just a little bit, a little bit more of the, the Malkiri past and, and a little of the past of land now that they're actually bringing this out for everyone. Uh, any thoughts on all that? It, uh, it's good insight. You know, he's, he, he's good at what he does, but he never had a reason to do it other than it's what I'm expected to do, it sounds like. But now he's got something, like he said, 
something to live for and something to die for. I'm sensing a theme between the waters. Because Stepan said something very similar. And mm-hmm. so I'm wondering, you know, obviously not every water. It could just be something. Somebody, you know, a boy grows up. Yeah, I want to be a water someday. Okay, honey. Um, but, you know, belonging, like Nynaeve said, you know, to someone. Having, you know, finding a home in someone. Um, having something greater than yourself to live for. Um I can see why that would be extremely attractive to lost boys, the Steppens and the lands of the world. And even one of Alana's uh, warders mentioned that he came from a broken home. So the three backstories we've gotten so far have all been broken lives. And and I can tell you that that, that uh, warder of Alana's uh, is also a borderlander. Um, and a lot of warders tend to be borderlanders for that very reason, I think, because both borderlanders are trained to be, you know, very good fighters. And because of what the borderlanders do, I guess there's probably a lot of orphans in the borderlands. So it's kind of like a Batman factory up there. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, like, if you want someone who will uproot their life and be you know go and do something completely different it's much more likely to appeal to somebody who doesn't have a home yeah right when you got nothing you got nothing to lose Mm -hmm. so back to our our recap uh now we're in rand's quarters and uh we see rand uh starting to have some flashbacks and he flashes all the way back to the beginning of the season at winter night i'm i'm just gonna sit back and i want to hear what you guys are thinking as he's having these flashbacks who is Carrie? Who or what is Carrie? His mom. That's something that that Tam mentions. Carrie, yeah, I, I assumed that was um, Tam's wife. That the person that Rand thought was his mother. Okay. Yeah, right. that's what I got. Was, was his wife. Yes. Okay. I didn't. I didn't catch that. I just heard him saying the name. It's like, who is that? I didn't go back and watch episode one to try to figure that out, but. Uh, they, they they never brought up Kari in the show, but I did explain her uh, in episode one to you guys. Okay. Yeah. You kind of find out that Rand knows a little bit more than we think he knows. Yeah. He, he's been keeping some secrets. We see all these scenes where he's been using channeling. Yeah, except for the door. Each one of those scenes could be kind of explained away as him not actually channeling. So I kind of got the impression that it was his twisted view of what was going on. Like I, I wrote down that this is all total BS because I, I think it's not actually him channeling. And I went back and specifically kind of paused the scene in the ways to look at the magic strands as they're pushing the Trolloc mm-hmm. away. There's no black in there. It's all clean white. So that right. makes but, in his, but in his memory, there's, there's black. Yeah, yeah so, mm-hmm. so that makes me think that it truly was uh, Egwene that was doing the channeling, but Rand maybe thinks that he was channeling mm, or that wind. the wind has twisted his mind so much that he's now kind of interpreting the way things are differently. They, even the door can kind of be explained away is like Ruark said, Rand's a big, strong guy because he's been the sheep hoarder his whole life and, you know, works all the time. Maybe it's not magic. Wood chopping machine too. Yeah, yeah that too. 
but then when he speaks to the seer, uh, do you see me coming back from the eye of the world? You know, the, the, she doesn't really give an answer, but she really implies that, no, he's not coming back. And, well, that's a sign that he could not be the dragon. I think so. she's given him the answers he wants to hear. Yeah. But there's also no guarantee that the dragon is coming back. Yeah. That's a good point as well. This will be interesting next episode um, to see what happens to Rand. So if you notice in that, that uh, talk with the seer with Min, um, she brought up that uh, her very first vision. Did you catch that? Mm-hmm. Her very was, first vision. Uh, of Tam. Tam with a baby. Correct. She was in Tarvalon when, and saw Tam with that baby, which we now know was Rand. And that was when she had her first vision. So at this point, I want to go back all the way to the very beginning of the very first episode when Moraine said, I've heard of a village with four Taviran. And I explained to you what Taviran means. Ah. Now we're seeing an example of Taviran in action. Aha. You know, just so happens to see, find a seer who also just so happened to see him right after he was born, you know, the, these, these completely unrealistic interactions, but the pattern forces them to happen. Okay. Interesting. And it seems like she's interconnected with Rand, but not necessarily the others other than seeing them as connected. I would like to go back to when, uh, when Moraine was discussing the, the prophecy with, I think it was, I think it was with uh, Swan uh, about there being, you know, four born in the border or born in the two rivers. With, did she say that or just that they were living there? Because you know, I think now, she just Rand said that they were there. born at the right time. I don't think she said that they were born in a specific place. So they're just in a specific place, born at the right time, but not necessarily born in the specific place. Yes. Okay. I have to imagine that Moraine has at least discussed the vision at some point. Given her mission, she knows that this vision has happened and knows about it. So I, I also want to ask, uh, what are we thinking about Tam? Now that we see a little bit of Tam's past and, and that sword. Uh, Dang it, not a warrior. That's there. <laughs> but a soldier. Definitely yeah, a soldier, yeah. It's it's a slightly different uh emblem on the uh on the sword. The same sword that he had pointed at uh, at the mother was not the same one that you know th- that Rand is now carrying around. Uh, I'm I'm going to correct you there actually it is the same sword. Okay, I did well, one thing I did notice was it mm-hmm. seemed like the sword that that Rand is carrying around the the, the emblem, the heron emblem is on like a badge. So mm-hmm. there's a little brass piece that's on, you know, attached to the, the blade at the hilt. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be directly onto the blade in that flashback scene. So there's mm-hmm. a slightly different design. 
So or it might be know. might be just seeing two different sides of the sword or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, that that yeah. could be it. But that that was one thing I noticed is that you know I noticed that it was the same emblem but a slightly different design. And as good as this show is, it may be a discontinuity that they missed. Yeah, because that happens entirely possible. Um, I'll give you a little background on on that. Um, the the heron mark on the sword is something that is awarded to somebody when they reach the rank of blade master. Uh, a blade master can become a blade master by um, showing their skill in front of several other blade masters who will then vote on whether or not that person can become a blade master or they can become a blade master by killing another blade master um, which is the way that most blade masters do it because i mean you know if you want to be a blade master the cool way to do it is by killing another blade master right yeah so you, you become the be fastest a... gun in the west you yeah, kill exactly. the second fastest gun in the west so um Tam, his story. I'll, I'll give you a little bit here as well. Uh, Tam was, was, he grew up in the two rivers. He was bored. You know, when he was about Rand's age, I'd say he, he left, he wanted to get out. Um, and he ended up, uh, in Ilion, which is, uh, another country in this world where he joined the Ilian army. Um, and he, uh, became a, a member of the, the, the companions, which is, uh, kind of like the Navy seals of the Ilian army. Um, the, Except you can tell they wear the yellow cloaks, which yes, bad idea. Yeah. Very much a bad idea. Edna, no cloaks. <laughs> um, so he became, he, he worked his way up to become a companion in the Ilian army. He was fighting in, in the Aiel war as we saw because of, he was there at the blood snow. Um, while he was out doing all of this, he married, a. a uh, Kari, uh, who became his wife, they had two children, um, both of whom, uh, the first one I believe died in, uh, shortly after birth. The second one I believe, uh, was stillborn and took away Kari's ability to have children. Um, so when he found what we now know as baby Rand on Dragon Mount, he immediately knew that Kari, who, who you know, could no longer have children, but desperately wanted children was going to immediately take to this child. So it was their child as far as they knew. And they went back to the two rivers after he left his commission in the, in the Eliana army. And makes more sense why he would stay his sword. Cause that was going to be my question. Like I get the impression that his own personal code is different than who he was fighting with. And that's part of why it yeah. was, but it's still like you're in the heat of battle. It's a little, tricky to stop like that especially when she just killed like five of your co-workers while in labor <laughs> which salute <laughs> so i yeah i'm gonna tell you this um so part of of aiel culture which we have not really experienced much of yet but tom pointed this out was that you need to be the time to be scared is when an aiel has his veil up or their veil up mm. The, and they have that black veil that she started that scene with. Yes. Aiel always put a black veil on when they are ready for killing. This is just an Aiel cultural thing. So when she stopped and took the veil off in order to, to try to, to uh, deal with the fact that she's in labor and the guys showed up and started swinging at her, she's very much kind of like, what are you doing? My veil's down. I'm in labor. I am not a threat to you. In Aiel culture, that would be just, you know, hands off. You just don't go there. Yeah. That's um, time out. White flag. Yeah. yeah. So, um, 
when Tam shows up, I think he understands Aiel culture enough that he shows up and sees, oh, you're not veiled. You're not actually a threat to me. You're only a threat to some, to somebody if you're trying to defend yourself. And, and that's when, when he decided to help her instead. That, that is my read on the situation. And takes his helmet off, which is like an equivalent gesture. Yeah, very much so. Yes. Kind of also shows Tam's uh, intelligence on the battlefield. Like all of his mates are rushing in to immediately attack her and he's not. So he's kind of sitting back and assessing the situation. And that ends up being probably why he's the last one there and is able to notice that her veil is down. You know, in the heat of battle, maybe they're not even seeing that. Yeah. Uh, so getting back to our recap, um, he's, he's still with men. Uh, she just told him the story about running into Tam in, in Tarvalon. And then she tells him she sees, uh, carnivals and, and, and celebrations and three beautiful women around him. And then she makes an implication that she actually sees him at the eye of the world. Um, and that's kind of the end of our scene. Uh, what do we think about any of that? Well, he asked, does he come back? And he sort of came up with the, uh, the implication that he doesn't. Which is, would mean that he's not the dragon reborn, but he goes anyway. Well, I'm like, okay. All right. I didn't know quite what to make of it. Honestly, I actually wasn't sure if she was kidding entirely about the carnival thing. Um, I, I would say uh, you all don't know Min very well yet, but uh, Min taking the piss would not be out of character at all. Okay. <laughs> so. Well, he was at a carnival, you know, back home, and yeah. Egwene and Nynaeve and, you know, even Moraine were there. So yeah. at a, at three, a beautiful women. three beautiful women, there you know, you is she seeing the past or the future or... Hmm. Or the future see? that she saw in the past that she's now recounting. Either way, okay. Uh, I'm gonna need. I'm gonna need to write that down. That's yeah, a, <laughs> yeah I, I need a flow chart to figure out what we're talking yeah, about. This I, need, I need to start. You know, putting up red yarn on things on the wall. Uh, no, just holding yeah. a bundle. Like that's how time works. It's much simpler. <laughs> <laughs> Just run your red cord around in a bunch of circles because it's all just a big flat circle anyway. So make a rug is what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I got the impression when we first met her, when she's talking with Moraine and especially when Rand walks in that she's terribly, terribly sarcastic. So her entire vision that she gives Rand, I kind of took with a grain of salt and said, this is not going to be completely straightforward. It's not going to be exactly what it is. So I don't think that we can really look at it and say Rand is clearly interpreting what she's saying. Uh, so back to our, our recap. Uh, we're back in Nynaeve's quarters now. Um, Egwene has showed up at Nynaeve's quarters um, and notices the bed is unused. And then Nynaeve shows up and uh, they, they kind of look at each other and bro fist over the fact that uh, they both knew what time it was last night. <laughs> <laughs> business was conducted they both Very had big so. smiles <laughs> uh, and then uh Perrin shows up and they kind of have a discussion and, and they're like yeah we're we're it doesn't matter we need to save the world so we're all going to go to the IA. uh by the way where the hell is rand and that's when uh we 
find out where the hell Rand is. He's in Moraine's quarters saying, uh, yo, I'm the dragon. Let's go. Goo-goo-goo-joob. Uh-huh. I am the dragon. Um, and Lan then shows up at Nynaeve's quarters and says, uh, Moraine just masked the bond and you guys don't know where Rand is. Uh, we better go. And the last scene we see is Rand and Moraine on their own heading off into the blight. So what do we think? I'm th- I was thinking, why would you do that? <laughs> you know, like, I think this episode was probably the most impulsive and like snap judgmenty we've seen Moraine mm-hmm. this entire time. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's out of character, except for Suan warned us last episode that it actually is not. Um, and... I just don't understand why she wouldn't like at least sit there and think about it first. Well, if, if we go back and think about what Machin Shin told her when she was, when, when it was, she was in the ways, um, I'm looking back through my notes here to find out exactly what Machin Shin told her. Uh, oh, that's right. He, he, uh, Machin Shin pretty much said, uh, um, you're going to get all these children killed for your own ends and you don't care and you're a horrible person pretty much. So I think just like earlier when we saw all the kids having an issue with, you know, dealing with what Machin Shin told them, I think this is her version of that. She's like, oh, I'm going to get all these kids killed. Screw that. I'm just going to find the one and get that one killed instead. She's on a wind hangover too. Yeah, very yeah, much a little so. Bit. But, you know, I wouldn't put it past her to, you know, beginning of the next episode, you know, Moraine sort of leads them back out of the blight, right back to the city and going, yeah, you're not it. Shut up. You know, <laughs> giving, him a little, giving him a little smack and say, yeah, no, no. Take this as a, as a lesson here. So one of the things that I, I just want to be sure on, um, Marine is going to die when she gets there because she isn't the dragon. Right, and she said everyone that's not the dragon is going to die. That's what she thinks. Yeah. So she's if she isn't convinced he's the dragon, she knows she is going to her own death. Which is why I think they may double back, and uh, you know, more more will ensue possibly. Also, why she's not taking Lan. Yeah, I think right. she's well, still she's overcome. Because, yeah, she's not going to... And that's kind of a thing. If she was planning to do something cunning, she would bring Lan with her because then Lan could beat Rand over the back of the head with a stick. Right? As it is, <laughs> she's the only one that can manage Rand. And okay, she can probably do it, but she's also in the middle of the plight. So it seems more likely that she thinks this is really it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I, I, I could see both ways happening. You know, I, I just have a feeling that you know she's just going to step out into the into the open. Rand's going to go, "What? We were just here," and she's going to smack him in the back of the head and go, "What the hell's wrong with you?" So I don't. know. You think she's going to lead him around in circles, and then be like, "You really thought you were the dragon? Come on!" <laughs> I, mean, I wouldn't would put it faster. But it would but be she hilarious. She doesn't know who the dragon is, so she has no way of knowing it isn't Rand. So I want to ask everyone, uh, where are you at on who is the Dragon Reborn? I think it's Rand. Like, I think the intro this episode um, was kind of a reason for it to be his story. Um, and all of the build-up, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, either that or... And, and we still haven't seen Bella. 
who was my favourite. Yes, very, very <laughs> true. <laughs> well, Perrin may not be the dragon, but he's definitely the wolf. Um, I'm still leaning toward Voltron theory. Uh, I don't know. Uh, they're doing a really good job of uh, making it kind of cloudy. Keep you guessing. I'm still clinging to the five-headed dragon. Me too, Siobhan. I think it's all five of them, which is why if they do make it to the eye, Rand's not going to die. He's just going to, you know, be in a really tough spot. But um, I also think... So Rand's going to be there like just a left leg. With, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no rest of the robot. And he's like, hey, uh, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, and I think like all five of them, like um, are di- they correspond to different elements. And so... You know, oh. this I'm I'm buckling down. I, I really think it's that all makes five them, of them Tiamat, mm. the chromatic dragon in D and D, because Tiamat oh. has five heads. Interesting thought. Um, and and actually, bringing up D and I didn't bring this up earlier when we were talking about the ways. But uh, did anybody notice that the the hexagonal shaped I did tiles that. that they use very much felt like a D and D map layout. I, I did notice that only because that would, that had been such a such a visual cue in the Marvel universe lately with you know WandaVision mm-hmm. and the the sort of uh, warp uh, or you know it, the 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 sort of the uni- uh, the you know reality jumping visuals that have been used in like Guardians of the Galaxy there yeah. there's a lot of hexagon imagery in there I didn't associate it with D and D because I've played exactly once and. Uh. I got smashed on the first, <laughs> my first roll, and I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> so, so when I was first watching this episode, and they went into the ways, and it was, you know, I I hadn't pictured it with, you know, all these hexa- hexagonal tiles or anything in it previously, but it worked, and I thought, wow, that looks just like the Giant's Causeway in in Ireland. Yeah, and and uh, then after I watched the episode, there is a a bonus, some bonus features and things, and they talked about the design of the ways, and here comes the guy who designed the ways and said, yeah, I was basing it on the giant's causeway. And then he went on to say, uh, we made several hundred different shaped pieces of different collections of the, of those hexagons. And then they could wheel them together to make different shapes to keep changing it around so that it was always different when they were walking through it to which I thought, Oh, so it really is actually dungeons and dragons set up because mm-hmm. yeah, so just a, a little uh, behind the scenes that I really, really loved there. Um, and while we're going off on that, I want to ask you guys, was there anything that we didn't cover in the show today that you wanted to bring up and you didn't know how or where to bring it up? Yeah, the uh, scars on the back of Lance. Yes. Oh, yeah, I those were so too. well done. When he opened it up, I like, and my w- wife's first reaction was, hey, she, he has visited a white cloak at some point in their past. Oh, that's true. After what he White Cloak did to Perrin. And I don't know that that's necessarily true because now that we know that he's gone into the blight on a regular basis, I'm sure he's taken some pretty hefty wounds, but that was the first reaction that she had. I would say to that, remember that when Perrin went to the tower, they said they were going to heal him up and, and it would look like nothing had ever happened to him. So I would say if a white cloak got at him and he escaped, he would probably not have those scars. Mm, okay. But yeah, one thing that I thought when I saw that is I wanted to go back to that, that I guess it was the first episode when uh, Landon and Moraine were in the hot tub. And 
I didn't notice the back. It might have been I'm staring at his ass. I don't know. But uh, yeah, there was anything but an ass in that scene. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I need to go back and see. Did his back look like that, or could you just see not see that high up? But it definitely stood out to me on this. I want to give another shout out to the lighting. Yeah. Oh uh, yes. A, they they managed to make the ways completely black except for the torches and you could still see everybody and you could still see what was going on. There was like an occasional lightning strike type of thing that would show up, but it would just kind of be in the distance. And, but yeah, it was, it was dark yet. You could see, take note D and B. Yeah. And I, I can tell you that all of those lightning flashes were actually practical lighting they were using on set too so they, they they really went all out and the, the color was different the torchlight was very yellow like a fire would be and then the lightning flashes was a very more white color to it it was the lighting was so good there yeah and you could see yeah. that too that when they were walking around at night in the city or when they're walking around at night in the uh the palace or you know the middle of the night outside the lighting quality was a little different for each one so that it felt authentic yeah the the blood snow scene too because something people don't realize is shooting on a white backdrop like that is impossible it's very very yeah. difficult to light because you get so much reflection you have weird things going on with the actors where they're lit under their chin and and not from above and it's hard to balance but that lighting was beautiful and that looked very, very natural. So they just could have had like the greatest, you know, days of slightly overcast <laughs> that they could ask for. And, you know, yeah. just shoot now before the clouds move. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on to our mailbag. Uh, we're getting some more mail at our, our uh, email address. That's watchpartywot at gmail.com. Uh, send us... Send us your love letters and, and any questions you have for the panel and uh, keep your hate to yourself. Um, and your spoilers. And your spoilers. Uh, so our first letter here comes from uh, our listener, Seth. Um, he says, it's so much fun hearing people from different backgrounds discuss what they get out of the show and theorize. It reminds me of waiting for the next book and discussing with my best friend what we thought was going to happen next. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, uh, I've I've actually been hearing that from a lot of book readers. That they, it, they say it it reminds them of of back when they were first reading the books and and you know theorizing with their friends next to their lockers and whatnot. Um, they says skip this part if you don't want to spoil your friends. But I this isn't a spoiler in in any significant way. Um, he's asking do do you all know the significance of my name? To which the answer is no, you don't. What was his name? Seth. No, my name. Mike. Oh, oh, you, oh, yours, yours. Yes. Okay. I do not. I, I know it has something to do with the books. Uh, you had mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my, my name, uh, I did take my name from the books uh, and, and that's all that you know so far. And that's all you need to know. So how many seasons are we, uh, are we talking here? <laughs> um, I'm going to guess that my namesake will show up in season three, if not at the very I end of season I remember two. you explaining the significance of your name when you adopted it on Facebook, but that was a few years ago and my memory's for shit. So now I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's all the same here. It's like, all I remember is it's from the books. Yeah. Just that it was from the books. That's it. So there's your answer, Seth. They know it's from the books, and that's all they know. Um, then we got another uh, letter here. This is from uh, Rick, 
Um, he says, I managed to catch your episode six recap, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I joined a few online groups of Watt fans, but I find myself regretting that decision uh, when it comes to their take on the Amazon series, because most of these fans in these forums choose to focus on the differences between the production and the novels. Um, they're spending their time just, you know, getting into that minutia and dissing on the producers for changing things that they didn't think needed to be changed. Um, and he says, for myself, I can understand the need to condense and update the book content to make it presentable to a much wider audience. Um, and he says, knowing all of this, I try to put myself in the position of how a non-reader takes to these stories and, uh, he can fill in the blanks so there's no real loss of continuity, but how to show watchers regard the series without previous context. And well, this podcast answers that question for him. Um, he says, I enjoy regarding the stories from their perspectives. Also, my partner has never read the books. So topics discussed on your podcast allow me to better explain things to him without giving away too much. So, and uh, Rick continues on to say, thanks and keep up the great work. So thank you, Rick. Yeah, we're, we're, we're happy to have you, Rick. We're, yes, we, we, thank you very much. We're glad that we uh, can help you discuss this with your friends and, and your spouse and, and your family members who, who don't have all the background. So. Yep, we know absolutely <laughs> nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we are blissfully ignorant. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, so that uh, concludes mailbag. Um, and uh, moving on, we've we have another little uh, new new thing to do here. We're going to talk about our reviews. Uh, we've gotten some reviews on on Apple Podcasts. Uh, four reviews now, so that's uh, great. Anybody else out there who's listening and you want to leave, leave us a review, that would be awesome. It helps uh, bring us up in the rankings on Apple Podcasts. Uh, but in the meantime, we want to say thanks to General Swans, to March and Land, to Red647, and to T-Dove for all of your five-star reviews, uh, those wonderful things that you were saying about us, and we love you all. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, hopefully that's a, a lesson to the rest of you. If you leave us a review, you might get a shout-out on the air, too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And that's we, all we for accept bribes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's all for this episode. Uh, like usual, we want to say thank you to Michael and Jen at the Watch Party Secret Island Base Headquarters, um, and also to Jordan Rennells for doing all of the audio editing for us and making us actually sound good. We love you, thank Jordan. You, thank you, thank you. Thanks, Jordan. Jordan. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, final question from our panel. Machin Shin is a sound designed to drive you crazy. What does it sound like? Any YouTuber playing Minecraft, screaming into a distorted microphone, and this is exactly what my kid <laughs> loves to listen to. <laughs> the Borg Collective. The only sound that really makes the top of my head come off is I'm in a room with somebody who has a cold in the middle of winter and they just sit there and sniff <laughs> over, and over and over and over and over and over and over and then at this point i've broken my pen in half <laughs> it is definitely the sound of my beautiful mother chewing on the other side of the kitchen table <laughs> <laughs>